0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is the second session in the Poetic Books series that deals with the book of Proverbs. You recall that there are five books in the Old Testament that are under this category of poetry, including Job and Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters, and it was written mostly by King Solomon, but also by some others. And so the time of writing spans from about 970 B.C. to perhaps 700 B.C. You may recall that King Solomon, its primary author, was the son of King David, and he wrote in Proverbs 4, which we dealt with in the last session, what his dad had said to him when he was a child that caused him to treasure wisdom so very much, including, as he says in Proverbs 4, 5, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. When Solomon became king and he was young and inexperienced, The Lord appeared to him in a dream and told him to ask for what he would, and Solomon was at least wise enough at that point in his youth to ask for more wisdom so that he could govern the people properly. Well, last time we talked about one of the four main themes of this wonderful book, and that was the fear of the Lord. Now we turn to another important theme called the retribution principle. And this is kind of a can of worms. It's a very deep and important subject that doesn't always get fully explored in Christians' minds as they look through Scripture. It can remain kind of murky. But this retribution principle is in contrast to erroneous retribution theology. A principle is a a rule that explains how something tends to work. It is not the same thing as a promise where every single time it is always true. So if someone said men are taller than women, that would be a generally true statement on average. If you look at statistics, And yet, any one of us could think of many exceptions to the rule, where there are short men and tall women. Or if someone said, the coolest time of day is early morning, generally, typically, that is true. But there are certainly times when fronts come through, and it's reversed. So, this retribution principle, then, having said that, is simply you get what you deserve. In other words, the righteous will prosper while the wicked suffer. Now, if you carry that to the extreme and think of it as a promise and decide that every time you look at someone's life and they're going through a hard time, they're being punished by God, you'll be dead wrong just like Job's comforters were. And we looked at the book of Job a few lessons back. But in general, the retribution principle holds. And a good example of that in the book of Proverbs can be found in chapter 3, verse 33. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Another example can be found in chapter 13, verse 25. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. Well, we certainly know of many wicked people who prosper and people in places where there's persecution who are living for God and they are suffering terribly and they're going without. And so it's tempting sometimes to wonder what that retribution principle actually means in Scripture. Uh, There are some old sayings That go with this, you know, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword is an example of how we might say today what goes around comes around or people get what they deserve or the righteous prosper while the wicked suffer. He's got it coming to him is a common way of saying the retribution principle. But because there are exceptions to the rule, like in the case of Job, people thought he was being punished when he was just going through a trial that God was going to use to glorify his name and to use Job as a good example later, then people will turn it around and say it the opposite way. They'll say things like, no good deed will go unpunished, or only the good die young. In fact, when we were talking about the book of Psalms, we had a look at David's Psalm 73 where he said that he was completely discouraged by the fact that so many wicked people prospered until it occurred to him that what was really going on was that God would take care of things in eternity and ultimately be fair. Let me give you another good example of the exception to the rule before we actually explore this retribution principle further. If you go to Luke 13, verses 1 through 5, it says there were some present at that very time who told him, meaning Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So they were discussing this King under Caesar, who had local authority, Pilate, who had killed some of their fellow citizens. And Jesus knew what they were thinking, so in verse 2, he asked them a question. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? So they were talking among themselves, wow, I wonder what they did to bring God's judgment down on them in this way. Verse 3, though, Jesus says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he goes on to give another example about how the retribution principle has its exceptions. Verse 4, were those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Okay, so we've dealt with the fact that the Bible definitely points to some exceptions, but we still don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. We want to explore what it means in Proverbs when it says in several different places and in several different ways that people get what they deserve. So Proverbs 2, verses 20 and 21, so you will walk in the way of the good, and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. Yet another example, Proverbs eighteen twelve. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. So if you have a good attitude, humility would be a good attitude, then you can expect to be honored later, the writer is saying. Proverbs 26, 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. That sounds kind of like he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And it goes on to say, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. So if we picture someone rolling this heavy rock up a hill and using all of their energy, maybe so that They can hold this rock at the top of a hill and wait for an enemy to come by and then at just the right time release this boulder and it comes down with this terrible force and, and maybe destroys the enemy. Imagine the guy gets almost up to the top of the hill and then he somehow loses his grip and the rock falls down on his head and hurts him. Again, retribution principle. Proverbs 28.10, Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. Well, usually the best way to really understand scriptures like this is to find a story in the scriptures where it's illustrated. If that is a general rule, and if oftentimes people who live right can expect to reap some sort of a reward in this life for it, then we should expect that maybe somewhere in the scriptures there will be a good account of that actually occurring. So come with me to the 35th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, and much of what we read in that book is prophecy rather than stories, but 35 tells us this very interesting and perhaps undertold story. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord during the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the Rechabite family and invite them to come to one of the side rooms of the house of the Lord and give them wine to drink. And so by this time, the wonderful structure known as Solomon's Temple was several hundred years old, and it wasn't going to be long before it was going to be destroyed. But this, this wonderful Solomon's Temple was a place where priests ministered, but it had on its sides some dwellings or apartments where the priests had their personal things And so that's what it means when it says, invite them to one of the side rooms of the house of the Lord. So out of the clear blue, the Lord says to Jeremiah, invite this family, the men of this family known as the Rechabites, to have some wine with you in one of the apartments at Solomon's temple. And then it goes on, so I went to get Jaazaniah, son of Jeremiah, the son of Hebazaniah, and his brothers and all his sons, the whole family of the Rechabites, I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the room of the sons of Hanan, son of Agdalia, the man of God. So this is an extended family. We've got several generations, and even at the very top, instead of it being just one grandpa, it's these brothers and their kids and their grandkids. It was next to the room of the officials, it goes on, this room, which was over that of Maaseah, the son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. So he sets bowls full of wine and some cups down before the Rechabites. He hasn't really given them a reason for his visit. He's just seeming to be friendly. And he's offering this to them, and he says to them, drink some wine. But they replied, we don't drink wine because our forefather Jehanadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command, neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. What? Well, drinking wine was not a sin. So why would their ancestor tell them not to do that? And then they go on and explain more. Also, you must never build houses, sow seed, or plant vineyards. In other words, he says, I don't want this family to settle down and stay in one place and build permanent dwellings and farm the land. You must never have any of these things, but must always live in tents. So they were like nomads. Then you will live a long time in the land where you're nomads. So they go on and explain this to Jeremiah, and then they say, we have obeyed. Everything our forefather, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, commanded us. Well, their forefather has passed away, and they are adults. They are of age. And so presumably it was up to them, especially after their forefather's death, to make their own decisions. And his wishes might not necessarily have been binding, but they wanted to honor him. So they go on and explain a little more. Neither we nor our wives nor our sons and daughters have ever drunk wine or built houses to live in or had vineyards, fields, or crops. We have lived in tents and have fully obeyed everything our forefather Jehonadab commanded us. So this we have obeyed is mentioned more than once. He starts out by saying, we've obeyed everything our forefather commanded. And then he says again, we have fully obeyed everything our forefather commanded. But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded this land, we said, come, we must go to Jerusalem to escape the Babylonian and Aramaean armies. So we've remained in Jerusalem. So he says, when all of these invasions from Babylon started, We had to come in out of the open country, but we're still not living in houses that have been built. We're still just living in tents, but close to the city. Okay, so this is very strange. But now the Lord is going to explain to Jeremiah why he called this meeting. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go and tell the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, Will you not learn a lesson and obey my words? And remember, what were we supposed to be talking about here? The retribution principle that you find throughout Scripture, like in the Torah, Deuteronomy 28, but especially also in many of the verses that I've pointed out In this book of Proverbs, written by King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, you get what you deserve as a general overarching rule. And again, the Lord says, Will you not learn a lesson and obey my words? Jehonadab, son of Rechab, ordered his descendants not to drink wine, and this command have they kept. To this day, they don't drink wine because they obey their forefathers' command. Now he's going to make a contrast with the people of Judah. But I've spoken to you again and again, yet you haven't obeyed me. Again and again, I sent all my servants, the prophets, to you. They said, each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions. Don't follow other gods to serve them. Then you will live in the land I have given to you and your ancestors. You know, God sent the prophets many times to call on the people to repent when they started to go astray, and those prophets were stoned, were arrested, or thrown into pits. God goes on, But you have not paid attention or listened to me. The descendants of Jehonadab, son of Rechab, have carried out the command, their fathers gave them, but these people haven't obeyed me. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Listen, I am going to bring on Judah and on everyone living in Jerusalem every disaster I pronounced against them. I spoke to them, but they didn't listen. I called to them, but they did not answer. Are you getting this? The retribution principle. In this life, you get what you deserve. If you obey, then you'll be rewarded. If you disobey, then you'll be punished. Now, we're not talking about natural consequences here. Imagine a child who was told not to go out in the street. If they go out in the street and get run over, that's natural consequences. But if they go out in the street and then the parent goes out and gets them and grounds them or spanks them or puts them in the corner, then that's punishment. Then Jeremiah said to the family of the Rechabites, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You have obeyed the command of your forefather Jehonadab and have followed all his instructions and have done everything he ordered. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, will never fail to have a descendant to serve me. Now, if that is the true word of God, then there must be Someone on this planet today who is a direct descendant of Jehonadab, son of Rechab. Pretty amazing to think about. So that picture in Jeremiah 35 is a real good example of what Solomon is trying to say about the retribution principle. Not in every single case. And there are some things that we don't understand that seem unfair or that get sorted out in eternity. And there are times when people mess up and then they repent and God, by his grace, spares them some of the punishment that perhaps they should have had. But in general, if you obey, you'll be rewarded. And if you disobey, you'll be punished. So if that really is for us today there ought to be some good New Testament examples of it, too. If you look at Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion in Matthew chapter 26, we have Peter getting upset, and he was carrying a sword, and we don't know if he lunged at the high priest and his servant intervened and tried to protect him or what happened exactly, but Peter drew his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. And that servant's name was Malchus. Well, Jesus said something very interesting to Peter when he picked up that severed ear and put it back on Malchus's head and healed him. He said to Peter, "'Put your sword back into its place, "'for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword.'" In other words, Jesus at his arrest said, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. You get what you deserve. If you go around using the sword, it might come back on you. What about Acts chapter 5? After Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and ascension into heaven, the early church, many of them were very generous people who were selling property, and using the proceeds to help their brothers and sisters who were in poverty. And there was a case of a married couple who conspired together to get some glory for selling some property. It was very nice that they sold the property and they didn't have to do that, but they brought a portion of the proceeds to Peter and laid it at his feet. And at separate times, they appeared before him, and both of them said, yes, this is the entire price of the land. They wanted people to say, wow, isn't it amazing that they donated all of the money they got from their land? Wow, what really generous people. And Peter said to them, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And both of them, at the separate times when they came to Peter and claimed that to be true, were struck dead right there and killed for lying to the Holy Spirit, an example of the retribution principle. They ended up being punished right then and there. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 when he was talking to the Corinthian church about the proper way to observe the Lord's Supper or communion, he said, For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he doesn't judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Paul told the Corinthians, the reason that some of you have died and the reason that some of you are not well is because you have profaned the Lord's Supper by not sharing with each other and by getting drunk at a time of church fellowship that's supposed to be holy and consecrated when you're discerning the body and blood of Christ. And so those people were being judged right then and there. There's even a mention of it in Romans 1 in regard to sexual sin. Romans 1:27. Paul is saying, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Did you catch that last phrase? Receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And so this wasn't necessarily just being sorted out in eternity, but people were finding themselves in a position of punishment even then. And in Hebrews 12, we read, My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Back to that example of the child going out in the street. The child is doing something so very dangerous that it could cost him his life. And so that's why a loving parent would go out in the street and take that child by the hand and say, You're grounded, mister. You won't be going out of this house for the next five days. You're going to stand in the corner for 30 minutes. It isn't that the anger isn't appropriate. It's a good thing. Like it says here, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We also see, even at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 20, Verses 11 through 15, some of the retribution principle as people are standing on the edge of eternity. John says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Did you catch that? The dead were judged according to what they had done. Now, we know that God is gracious, and we know that Christ took on himself the punishment for our sins, and yet, in this New Testament book we read, the dead were judged according to what they had done. Because faith is evidenced by works, is it not? The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. That was verse 13. It was stated again in case the reader didn't understand how it was being underscored. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, having your name written in the book of life is by God's grace. But it's also through our faith. And in this life, if we have faith, it should be showing up in the way we're living. So all of those things fit together, and they're intertwined so that we can understand that there is a place, even in this New Testament age, for this retribution principle. So the bottom line to understand what this is actually saying would have to be Proverbs 3.33, which I read earlier, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Good deeds are rewarded... And in general, evil deeds are punished. Blessings. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it along.